we want to create an environment where success is inevitable. If you come to ASU and you buy into what we're asking you to do and you give it your best effort and you do these things, you're going to be successful. Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast, where your hosts Kelly Palace and Maria Parker share with you what it takes to be a champion. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds Masters World and National Swimming Records, and Maria holds world records in endurance cycling, and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo Podcast. Would you like to find world-class excellence in your life and work? Well, you are in the right place where today we are talking with a man that needs no introduction, the legendary Olympic swim coach, Bob Bowman. Bob is the renowned coach of the greatest swimmer and Olympian of all time, Michael Phelps. Together, this dynamic duo earned an unprecedented 28 Olympic medals, 23 of them gold. (laughs) Bob has been the head coach of Team USA men's Olympic team in 2016. And since 2015, Coach Bowman is the head men's and women's swim coach at Arizona State University. Bob is also the author of the book, The Golden Rules, Finding World-Class Excellence in Your Life and Work. But before we talk with Bob, I want to say hello to my co-host, Maria Parker. Hello, Maria. Hi, Kelly. In addition to coaching, Bob's a sought-after motivational speaker and generously donates his time to charity, specifically with the Michael Phelps Foundation. Bob has a passion for helping underserved children with water safety and also the Special Olympic programs. We're in for a really special interview today. And you're no doubt going to get some champions mojo. I love it. Okay. (laughs) So let's get to it. And now it's time for the road trip segment. Bob, great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Really appreciate your time. So first question, if someone had told you 20 years ago that that's the resume I would be reading, what would you have said? No way. (laughs) It sounds kind of crazy when you say all that stuff. But, you know, I was just a hard-knocking swim coach trying to learn how to do it. Um, You know, the early years, I just worked as hard as I could. Was frustrated almost all the time because I wasn't getting anywhere fast enough. Uh, And I still remember a time where my biggest career goal was to have somebody qualify for the Junior Nationals. I thought I would never get there. That, that's that's just amazing. So if you if you could write a letter back to that twenty one year old self graduating from Florida State, what, what would you say to yourself? I would say take a little better care of yourself. <laughs> that's a great one. And be a little patient because there's so many good things that happen in life when you just sort of let it flow. You know, yeah, you know, we can go back to many things in my life that have just seemed to kind of happened by coincidence, but they were really because I had put myself in an opportunity where some good things could happen. And there are some things that you just have to let happen. You can't make it happen. Right, right. Well, now there's a lot of stuff online about you. Mm -hmm. A lot of it centers around Michael, of course, which is the goat. We love Michael. Love, love, love. Um, But there was a great story that I was 
kind of had to dig down a little deeper to find it. And I wanted you to share it with our listeners because they may not have heard it. And that is the story of when you originally um, had a couple of guys, breaststrokers, and you were out in California and they, yeah. they looked like they were going to make the team. Yeah. And then they, they bolted. Yeah. Can you tell that story? Yeah, I was coaching in Napa, California. And uh, I had just taken over as the head coach of the club there. And uh, there's Eric Wunderlich who was a very good swimmer at the time. He had swum at University of Michigan, uh, had come out to train. Uh, another good swimmer from, uh, from Auburn University, Ian Mull, had come out to train. And they had both had a very good year. Eric had won the Pampax in Atlanta, which was his hometown, year before the Atlanta Olympics, uh, was the fastest American in that event. Uh, and Ian had won the World University Games and was the third I am or behind Dolan and namesake, which is a kind of tall order, but he was in position to maybe try to do something. And, uh, you know, after about a year with me, they came in and said, you know, we love the swimming here. We love the coaching, but we just can't train with these little kids. They were the only two guys with like an age group team. And, uh, so they went back to Michigan. Both of them actually went back to Michigan and train. And, um, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I was not in a good place for a long time after that. And I um, had basically decided that, you know, I've worked really hard at this. I have given everything I've got. I think I could do it. But obviously, if it was going to happen, it would have already happened by now. So I'm done. And I thought about going back to school. And uh, I just basically, you know, was going to give up coaching or at least maybe coach part-time, go back to college, get a degree. I was interested in a lot of things, but I was interested in racehorses at the time, and I was actually going to look at maybe being a veterinarian for racehorses. Uh, so I called David Marsh at Auburn. They have a very good veterinary program there. I went down there, met with the guy, and he was going to let me be his grad assistant at Auburn, coaching uh, distance swimmers. And then uh, Murray Stevens from North Baltimore Aquatic Club called me. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to go back to school. And he said, well, you can go back to school in Baltimore. And I was like, well, I already set this thing up at Auburn. And he said, well, how much is he going to pay you? I said, 10,000 bucks. He said, I'll pay you 35. I said, I'll be there next week. <laughs> so I, that's how I ended up at North Baltimore Aquatic Club, basically so I could just transition into whatever is going to be next. Um, and just kind of by chance, I started working with Murray and his group. I remember I got there, and three days later, he went to the Olympics and said, well, just coach the team until I get back. No real instructions or anything. <laughs> just do it. Uh, and that really started a very long relationship with me and NBAC, and, and it was sort of a, another one of those fortuitous things where I would never have expected it to end up the way it did. I, I just think that particular part of your history is yeah. so inspirational because wow. – so many of us get to that point where we're just, you know, we're grinding, we're grinding, and we, we see something that almost happens and then it doesn't, and we think, okay, that's it. I'm going in a different direction. Right. And to know that, you know, you've wound up at MBAC with NBAC yeah. with Michael Phelps, yeah. and then your history, it just, I just, when I heard that part of it, I was like, rewound it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not know that about yeah. you. So that is, yeah. You know, I think one of the things... Uh, and we don't have to spend too much time on Michael, but I think one of the things that made our relationship so strong and actually made his career really good was when I first started with Michael, it was random as well. The groups just kind of got shuffled. He was in my group. Everybody knew that he was a good swimmer. And in my mind, I was coaching a group of 13, 14-year-olds, and he was 11, but he was so advanced he had to be with them because he just couldn't swim with the regular age groupers. 
And so in my mind, I thought, you know, Michael's a very fast swimmer, but he doesn't have particularly good technique. He's very undisciplined in many ways. And I'm never going to coach him down the road. So I'm going to give him the best two years I can while he's 11, 12, 13. And I'm going to teach him everything he needs to know to go as far as he could go. And so we started doing that. I was very tough on teaching him how to six-beat kick and freestyle. We rehauled, redid his breaststroke, overhauled his breaststroke. Um, so there are a lot of things that, that I did, but I did it with the thought that, you know, I don't he doesn't have to like me because in two years somebody else will be coaching him to wherever he goes, and I'm going to give him every tool right now because it's just I, it's the right thing to do. And as it turned out, we just ended up never leaving each other through his whole career. But it, we got started on a really good foundation because I wasn't thinking about, wow, this kid could win an Olympic medal. I was just like, I'd like him to do breaststroke. Yes. Yeah. And that and that plays into what I've heard you say over and over again yeah. is just that process. It's yeah. Not, not the end, but what you're doing on a daily basis. Exactly. So what do you think the lesson is from that start, stop in California mm -hmm. and then coming to Baltimore? Well... I don't want to get too philosophical with you, but I'd love for you to. That's why we're that's why we're here. <laughs> but I've done a lot of reading on this kind of stuff, and it's just a lot of kind of self exploration about being a better person, trying to live better. And I did a lot of reading this summer. Um, I read a good book called The Surrender Project by Mickey Singer that I highly recommend people read. And you know. I'll be the first one to say I'm not going to get into a lot of Eastern philosophy stuff. But one of the things they talk about is, you know, live in the current moment, surrender to it. Instead yeah. of always trying to fight things and make something happen, go with the flow of the way your life is going. And you'll sort of naturally go in the direction that you're supposed to go. And, you know, it. so I've, I've talked quite a bit, well, to my staff or people I'm close to about, you know, we get to this thing and they say, we should really just go out. I was like, just surrender to the universe. What's it, what's opening up right now? I love it. This is where we should go. So I think that's part of it. That's beautiful. And that ties perfectly into my next question. Mm -hmm. So dealing with pressure mm -hmm. and we want to know how Bob Bowman dealt with the pressure yeah. of knowing, oh my gosh. I mean, we almost had a heart attack on the Jason Lezak, final of the relay, the yeah. 100 fly, I'm first, I'm second, I'm first, <laughs> right. you know, just the whole thing. Mm -hmm. What did, what got you through that run to the eight medals and, and just waking up every morning and just knowing that you're on, you're walking on the balance beam for this? Well, you know, I think it was number one, I have the advantage of knowing that this just wasn't like a week in China. This was 12 years. Right. Michael's career leading up to it. And we had worked step by step by step to get him to a point where he might have the opportunity to do these things. And one of the things that I think made it such a, that week when I think back, it, well, now it's a real pleasure. It was definitely stressful. <laughs> but what it, when we went in there, I knew he was completely prepared. There was not one more thing we could do. And then the chips just fell where they may, right? You know, I can't determine how fast you know, people are going to go, other people, I can't determine how French are going to swim their relay. I can just have him as ready as he can be. And we were there. And I told him beforehand, I said, you know, we hardly ever talked about winning eight, but I said, you know, if somebody's going to win eight, you're going to have to be a hundred percent prepared, which we are. And you're going to have to get a little bit lucky. 
because winning all these relays, there's just so many variables, mm-hmm. right? And we did get lucky twice, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And after the first relay, it's funny, after the free relay, I turned to somebody, I think it was Frank Bush, and I said, well, we used up all our luck. We're yeah. going to have to do it on our own now because that's as lucky Absolutely. as you can get. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But so I, I think there was definitely huge stress. But how did you personally deal with that week? Like you, yeah. did you deep breathe? Did you? No, meditate? I didn't. No, I did worked you... out. I did. I had a routine. Tell like me, going tell in. Me. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. what we, we love to, to drill I, down on. I felt like I needed. Well, number one, I had to kind of be the. I had a lot of good experience in uh, 2004 doing this big program, and the first time that we were in the spotlight, and I felt like it was a blur. We got in 2004, and I was so busy trying to stay on top of every little thing that I didn't. And there were some things that came up that we didn't expect that when I think back on it, I can hardly remember anything about. So when I went into Beijing, I was much more experienced at the whole process of what was going to happen, and we had it completely mapped out. So we had been rehearsing it at meets beforehand. We knew the timing between the events. We had done the triples. We did so. There was a whole list of things that we were focused on. But this time, instead of saying, "Okay, what do we got to do now?" It's like, "Okay, race one done. Swim down. Doping control. Media. You have this much time for the ice bath. Dinner's at this time. Go to bed. See you in the morning." You know, just we were. It was more automated, so I didn't have to worry about that so much. So what I did was actually I took 10 minutes every morning when Michael was kind of just stretching and I would go into the pool and look around and try to drink everything in there so that I would remember it. And I actually really remember everything about it. It's crazy when you kind of consciously do that. That Um, And that actually had a calming effect on me. It didn't really get me too fired up. It was like, wow, this is super cool. Like not many people are ever going to be in this position. We're here. Things are going okay. Hope today goes well. You know, we're really trying to take it moment by moment and not think ahead or look back on what we did. So I think that also kind of, you know. So being in the present moment. Being in the present yeah. moment. Oh, yeah. Okay. I love that. The Power of Now. That's your other book recommendation. Yes. I just read that three times. That So that, that ties <laughs> in exactly as I've, I've suffered on and off with anxiety throughout yeah, my life. And that sure. is one of the techniques that the, the doctors tell telling anxious patients is. Be in your present environment. Look at the color of the walls, the, uh-huh. the sky. Like, exactly. So you were doing, I was that, doing that naturally. You know, I had a routine where because the finals were in the morning, we would go and you know take care of the main business. There was time in the afternoon. I worked out every day. What was your workout? Uh, it was usually elliptical. They had a gym there. I would alternate like weights or like elliptical. I try to do that at all of these meets. It really helps. And also it just keeps you from sitting around your mind right. just going right. crazy about thinking stuff. Um And other than that, I just tried to, you know, we had a lot of great people on that team. You know, Mark Schubert had been a good mentor for me. And, you know, he was kind of helping us go through it. And just a lot of the Frank Bush, a lot of Jack Bowerly, my great friends were there. So it was fun just to hang out with them. And they kind of keep things light. Eddie Reese, keep things light. He was the head men's coach. So I relied on them a little bit for that. And then, uh, you know, Michael was just the thing that was the best about Beijing for me is there was kind of like an almost every day there's a way that I could see that one of the lessons that I had taught Michael along the way was being used. Uh, It was the only meet we've ever been to where, you know, we would say, okay, I'll meet you at whatever time, 7.15 in front of the dorm and we'll go eat and then take care of our stuff. 
and he would always be there when I got there. And I'm usually the earliest person anywhere. So he was early to everything. He had everything he needed. He never didn't have something that he, you know, needed to suit or something, which in the previous, in the 2000 Olympics, he didn't bring his credential. He only got to the final like 30 minutes before he swam. So we grew up a lot in those years, right? Trying to get all this done. And so I think that was really, um, what what Good. were some examples of lessons that you yeah. taught him that you saw come to fruition? Um, he would, well, number one, we have this protocol of warming up, right? So an hour and a half, he would do his main warm up. He would get out, dry off, uh, kind of chill for a little bit, put his racing suit back on 30 minutes before he would get back in. And uh, But we tried to be very exact, like if the race was at 723, you know, exactly an hour and a half before that, he would start. And sometimes he would fudge it. You know, he would be like five minutes late, five minutes early, kind of where. And this meet, I went over one time, he was standing over by the end of the pool. He was just standing there. And I just walked over and I said, what's going on? He said, well, I came over three minutes early, so I'm waiting till exactly whatever the time was to get <laughs> in. So it was just like very precise. Yes. Uh, so that was one. Uh, his goggles filled up in the 200 fly. Yeah. So I had like, you know, years before kind of stepped on his goggles at one meet because he left all his stuff on the floor. I was mainly annoyed that he had left it on the floor. I wasn't right, really right. thinking, okay, this is a huge life lesson, but it was the prelims of the meet. So I said, I'm just going to do it. And uh, he came back from the prelims of that meet, and his goggles, he said, you know, I was like, well, you did a pretty good job on that. And he said, yeah, my goggles filled up for some reason. I was like, I don't know. Well, see, great job. <laughs> you know exactly what to do. So uh, he counted strokes when he couldn't see anything, which is what we do in practice. So a lot of the things that we just did to prepare him, he actually used, and, and it really helped. When you come out of something like that, mm-hmm. what, and I know in researching you and your philosophies that you believe deeply that you have to be emotionally engaged in your goals. Sure. So now in 2019, (laughs) what wakes Bob Bowman up? How do you come out of something like that? The highest high that a swimmer or a swim coach can possibly achieve and have this emotional energy to go forward. When I look back at my career, somebody asked me this the other day. I was like, how long are you going to do this? I said, well, I'd probably go 10 more years if I didn't have to go to swim meets. I just love practice, right? I oh love practice. You're the, the meets... opposite of every other <laughs> know, coach in the world. The meets are fine, but you know, I, but by then it's already done. It's done in practice, oh, right? I love that. But I love, I love the day-to-day with these kids. And what gets me out of bed is I have a great group of athletes at Arizona State University, a great group of staff that I'd love to be around. And every day we're helping them take that, whatever their next step is. And honestly, the process is the same as getting Michael to take his next step. It's just like taking more steps. So I, that's what I love about it. I just love working with these young people on a daily basis. And that just is still super exciting. Super exciting. So very exciting. Arizona State University. What is the culture that you're trying to create there? Um, it's a great question. A culture of excellence, to make it very simple, I know that sounds very cliche, but that's what we try to do. Um, it's a culture of personal accountability. You know, we want people... There are five things that I ask the kids to do every year. We have the same talk. I mean, now the seniors know what they are. So they are. They kind of say it with me. Number one, we have to have honesty. Whatever we do, I'm going to be very straightforward with you. Good, bad, ugly, in between... 
You're never going to have to worry about where I stand. You're always going to know, and I'd like the same from you. Because that's the foundation of any healthy relationship, right? Honestly. Absolutely. Number two is accountability. Your accountability. You're accountable for your swimming. You're accountable for what you do away from the pool. You're accountable for your schoolwork. All of these things, right, end up to something called integrity, right? Honesty and accountability. To me, our integrity put those two together. So that's very important in our program. You're going to get a lot of feedback. Some of the feedback you're not going to want to hear, but that's my job. And I'm not doing my job if I don't tell you some things that you don't that you need to know but don't maybe want to know. I'd like for you to tell me some things that maybe I don't want to hear that I need to hear. Same thing. Have the difficult conversation. Kids today have a very hard time with that because it's all by text. Right. They, you know, they yeah. don't get to sit face to face, but oh we gosh, make them do right. it. Right? You speak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have to do it in our program. They have to sit down and talk about it, which I think is a skill that everybody needs. The third one is competitiveness. I want you to be competitive in what you do. I want you to care about that aspect of it and not in a zero-sum way. Not like you get something somebody else doesn't, but competition means striving together, right? If you look up the Latin root, make yourself better by competing in practice and in, in everything we do. And our kids do. They compete to see who can wad up the workout and throw it in the trash can after practice. I love that. Just make that part of your day. Um, the next one is resiliency. You know, it's never a straight line to success. You get knocked down all the time. The only thing that matters is that you get up and try harder, do better, learn something. So we have to be resilient. And then finally, everyone in the program has to show respect. You have to have respect for the process of what we're doing, respect for your teammates, respect for your competitors, your coaches, your parents, yourself, what you do with and to your body. You know, there are a lot of things going on out there. And if you approach it with an attitude of respect, you're going to be the kind of person that we want you to be, the kind of athlete and student that you want to be. Beautiful. That's it. Yes. And, and I heard you say in one of your speeches that when you set this type of culture up, that the, the automatic result is success. Yeah. So I, I love yeah, that. That's, we, we want to create an environment where success is inevitable. If you come to ASU and you buy into what we're asking you to do and you give it your best effort and you do these things, you're going to be successful. I love it. Love it. So you mentioned some of the, your fellow coaches. Yeah. Were those mentors for you, or can All you name them. any All of them, and I, there are more. Uh, Greg Troy okay. was a huge mentor of mine. I happened to uh, grow, start coaching in Tallahassee, Florida, and he was the best friend of Terry Mall, another mentor of mine who was the head coach in Tallahassee. They were best friends, so we would go to meets, and I spent a lot of time around Greg, and he's definitely uh, you know, someone who was a kind of a rival of mine i guess you would say i just heard a podcast today where uh simon sinek talks about having a worthy rival right someone who basically mirrors they're very good at the things you're weak at right but you push each other and, and i feel like greg and i are a perfect example of that when ryan and michael were kind of you know going into beijing right yes. certainly worthy rivals on both sides and uh but he's someone i could always go to for an honest opinion Somebody that, uh, it was so great, we were just in Greensboro last week, two weeks ago, for the pro swim. And, uh, you know, we 
sat down, talked about so many things, but you know, he actually asked my advice on some stuff, which is kind of cool <laughs> for me because oh. I'm always asking him. Oh, come on, I was like, what do you think about this? <laughs> I was like, wow, like, okay, I really want to. But you know, so he's one. Um, you know, obviously, so many. Terry McKeever is a mentor of mine. You know, I, Terry and I sort of came up at the same time. She had Natalie, I had Michael, and we both sort of kind of grew up in the national team together. And she's someone that I very much trust and, and value her opinions and the way, and she does her program completely differently than I do mine, which is amazing. And I think that's the great thing about our sport, right? It's the individuality and the creativity that different people have uh, wherever they are. And they come up with something that fits their situation, their swimmers, their personalities, their strengths as coaches. And to do that and still have the similar success, I think, is a, one of our best things in America. Yes, being doing your authenticity, you know. Yeah, being, exactly, you know, exactly. Living your, your life authentically, that, that's beautiful. With your own rituals and routines, you mm -hmm. said a little bit when you were in Beijing under yeah. high pressure, on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, yeah. having talked with a lot of Division One, you know, top program coaches, especially those coaching two programs. Right. So the, the combined job. programs, yeah. huge job, lots of stress. What do you do on a daily basis of routines and rituals that kind of keep you healthy mentally and physically? Oh, I'm actually doing way better on that. Um, this, was this the letter to your? This is the letter self? to my early self. You, you know, you got exercise, the letter. do, do <laughs> eat something that's not terrible for it. You. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so what I do is every day I get up at the same time, about 4.45. So I'm an early riser. And most days, I'm, almost every day I'm up before the alarm because I'm on a schedule. Go to bed about 8.30. That's, That's a great side. routine. Yeah, but it's a good routine. Yeah. And, and so I have good sleep and I've been monitoring it. So now that we have all this uh, stuff. The, I, the watch that I've charts everything. Watch, Apple Watch can tell you what to do. Um, so I get up and Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I go to practice. We have practice at 6 o'clock until about 8, depending on what group, sometimes 7.30. Uh, and then on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, after that, I will lift weights. Our strength coach comes up with the program for me, and I go in there and do it. Sometimes I don't like it. I oh still do gosh. it. He kind of makes me do stuff I That's don't want to do. It's 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 not that intense, well, I mean, but it's good. Well, I mean, having a college weight coach yeah, makes but he's, yeah, it's, it's But it's great because I kind of I get a feel for what the kids are like. So that's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. On Tuesday, Thursday, uh, I don't have practice, so I immediately go to a pool near my house and I swim. I've started to swim recently, and it's been amazing. Like do we, this do, summer, do I started to swim. we have a master's meet in your we future? We do not. We do not. Okay. But I love it, and I can't believe that I went for, you know, 30 years without swimming. And I, I started at 500 yards. I'm up to, I've done 2,500 a couple times. I'll probably, okay, what's your pace 100? What's your base oh, 100? No, probably 130. Not well, even that's, that good. <laughs> that's highly respectable. I, well, you know, when I'm, when I'm working really hard, it's about 130. So I, I don't fence try to push no it. or no fence? No, I don't use fence. beautiful. Fins. I pull. I'm a good puller. Well, you're um, a and former a pretty distance good, guy, pretty good right? kicker. But so I, I swim. So the b bottom line is every day, except for Saturday, I take one day where I don't exercise. All the other days, I do some kind of formal exercise. So that's one thing. I've actually, I don't know if I should get into this, but it's kind of good podcast no, I want fodder. It. Yeah. I've been experimenting with intermittent fasting, oh, and I really like that. We just did a podcast. I, I love it. So our listeners I, know I, all today, about it. Today, I... You know, and it's very easy in our lifestyle because I go to bed early. I probably stop eating at six thirty, and I don't eat until noon the next day. So most days I can get that, and it's just I 
have better energy, which I didn't know. And honestly, you kind of learn that maybe eating's just a habit. You don't I'm not, I don't feel deprived or anything. And then it and just also, if you listen to Dr. David Sinclair from Harvard, he says it resets your genes, right? It's kind of an anti-aging thing. Yes, which autophagy. Now, yes. It actually eats up the Ex dead cells. Exactly. And lowers your blood sugar, lowers your blood pressure. So there are a lot yeah. of good things. So I'm doing that. Um, on the days that I swim, I come back home and I'll have about an hour, hour and a half until I go to the pool. And usually when I get back, I read something for about 30 minutes. I sit in a very quiet place. I've got a great chair. Uh, I'll have my coffee. I had a knee injury, so I put my TENS unit on for 30 minutes and read. I just read a great book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Highly recommend. Okay. But I'll do it like maybe two or three chapters at a time. I don't like to sit and read for a couple hours. So if I go like 20, 30 minutes... And you the only week. read? Do you do audiobooks or? Oh mostly? no, I do audiobooks okay. on planes. Yeah, yeah I love yes. them. Yeah. So yeah, I do. But both. in your chair, you're actually. But in my yeah, chair, I'm actually yeah. reading just because it's it's there. Um, so a couple times a week, I'm reading, and then I'm after that, I'm pretty much just into the day, right? So you feel good. Swimming makes me feel really good, or the with lifting. Um, start my day. Start coaching. You know, some days I have a pro group that comes in early, and on Tuesday, Thursday they come in at ten, so I coach them, and then we have the college team at two. On the double days, everybody's at two and six, um, and then in between, you know, there's always a million things. As a coach, you know what, yeah. what to do: recruiting, Lots, everything yes. else. So I try to do that, and then the best thing in my life, really, in the last, I guess, is three years now, is uh, I will head over to Michael's house after practice maybe not every day but probably three or four days during the week and then definitely saturdays and sundays and i'll play with my grandkids yes. and then have dinner with them and then that's it go home they know i have to leave at seven so i can get to bed on time any uh swimming <laughs> lessons in the works there are some two? swimming lessons they have a nice pool so yeah when i can work it out it's usually during the college year it's hard but in the summer there's a lot of good time for swimming so we do yeah. Do you think we'll see Boomer in a swim meet in the next few years? I hope not. <laughs> he's a, but he's you a very good swimmer. To, you might have to go another 20 he, years. He is Bob. a good swimmer. No, they keep I, saying, you know, Grandpa, you're going to have to stay for... I was like, uh, I don't think... I'm not sure Grandpa's going to make it uh, to Boomer's. But uh, they love the water, which is great. And, uh, you know, Boomer, I wouldn't characterize him as 100% water safe, but he's almost. And he's three years old, yeah. so that's really good. That's really... Um, Young. And, you know, the other ones were Beckett's just starting. And then, of course, the new one hasn't been in the pool yet, but it will be soon. But, you know, so that's a kind of a thing that is a, I don't know, I feel like when I'm with those guys, my heart rate comes yeah, down. You know, so you could just say it's just a super emotional, emotional health. health. And another thing with the kids, we talked about being in the present. Yeah. When you're with kids that age, you're 100% present. Yeah. You know, I'm not thinking Beautiful. about tomorrow's workout or how today went. I'm thinking about is, you know, they're going to ride their bike off this curb or what, you know, what, you know, right, you're constantly right. you're with there, them. You're in yeah, the moment. Exactly. So, um, before I ask yeah. the last question, sure. I want to know your thoughts on the international swim league and pro swimming and what, you know, what does, I think happen? it's great. Um, I think it's the next step in our sport. You know, more and more people are swimming well beyond college, well beyond college. And it's a great, you know, venue to do that. I think that in the bigger picture, we have to figure out how all of this fits into the FINA calendar, all of the other things that are out there. Because I 
personally feel like the menu is a little big right now. We need to kind of get more organized on when certain things are going to happen so that the athletes that are doing all this stuff can still do the consistent training that they need to do to improve. Maybe partnering with the Exactly, ISL. yeah. Same I just thing. think there needs to be coordination. Yeah. I, uh, there are currently so many options. And, you know, I understand these guys can go and make good money. It's their living. Right. But, you know, are you making the money at the expense of the big money later? You, you know, there, right. there are trade-offs. And, sure. and I respect everybody doing that. And I have some athletes that are in the ISL. I have some that chose not to do it this time. But... Uh, it's been great for the sport. I think just from raising the profile of it, it's very good. What do you think the biggest changes in the swimming world have been in your tenure that have really changed the sport? Wow. Uh, well, professionalism for sure. You know, I remember when I was swimming and, and even up until maybe even the 96 Olympics, if you graduated from college, you were done swimming. You might go right. one year if the trials were the next year, but nobody was staying five or six years. Right. You know, they, that was just, you were done. Um, so I think the introduction of being able to have professional swimming has definitely changed it because so many people are staying in it longer. It's changed the dynamic of what college swimming is now. College swimming is now a, a step in the development of swimmers. It's not the end. It used to right. be the end, yeah. right? You yeah. swim and that would be it. Uh, so I think that's a huge change. I think technology, the suits, you know, we've had so much that had to do with right. that. That's a, been a big change. Those are probably the two biggest ones. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So last question, mm -hmm. if, is there anything I haven't covered that you would like to cover? I think about, people ask me all the time why I'm at ASU. There's so many reasons. Number one, it's an amazing university and anybody who do some, does some research on the new direction that the ASU has taken and look at the statistics about what's going on there. It is a world-class university and a research institution. Uh, and so many things are going on that I could spend an hour talking to you about it, but I won't. Uh, but the main reason that I, you know, what first thing I always say is the quality of life in Arizona is better than any place I've ever been. It is just an amazing place. The desert is a beautiful place. We have access to everything. We have pro sports. We have college sports. We have shopping. We have golf. We have you name it. It's easy to get to. It's laid out in a way that you don't feel congested. It's a vibrant community. And year-round, you're outside. And there's really nothing better than that. That's... I'm sold. <laughs> Come on out. Yeah. Particularly now. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so those are the hard questions. Sure. Now we're just going to do a little fun round. The first section mm -hmm. is, I'm going to name some swimming terms. Oh. Can you just give me an adjective? Okay. The first thing that comes, first thing that comes to my mind. First thing that comes to okay. mind. Ready? Technical suits. Fast. The fifth stroke. Underwater kicking. Perfect. Backstroke starting ledges or wedges or whatever we call them. Another way that we have taken the advantage of people who really learned a skill and given everybody that skill. International Swim League. Innovative. Lochte rule. Dom. Dom. Thank you. <laughs> Got it. Michael Phelps. Goat. Goat. Katie Ledecky. 
Goat. Female goat. <laughs> Female goat. Arizona State swimming and diving. The future. Tokyo 2020. Here we come. Here we come. Okay. Now, these are just the ones that we ask everybody, and I just like to know them. Cat or dog? Dog. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Dark. Kickboard or no kickboard? Kickboard. Thank you, coach. <laughs> Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? For sure morning person. I think we already answered that. <laughs> texting or talking? I'd probably say texting, but I should be talking. <laughs> I love it. Well, that is going to be a wrap, Bob. It's just been so fun. And I, I'm so glad that some of our listeners are going to get to know you better because I think we, we hit on some things. No, this was great. Thanks yeah, for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. And best of luck to you and your teams this year. Thanks so much. So, Maria, there you have it. Bob Bowman. Yeah, amazing. That was a really amazing interview. I, uh, I, I really, I wrote down so many things uh, that he said. Just another incredible, mature champion who has so much to teach us. Yes, arguably the greatest swim coach of all times. Um, you know, Coach Bowman didn't just coach Michael Phelps. Obviously, that is you know, what he is known for, but he certainly is, has coached many, many great swimmers and is a great coach all around. Um, but we, there were, there were so many takeaways. We're going to still try to stick to our two and two. And I want to start with this concept of what an amazing, long-term, dedicated, successful partnership this was with Michael Phelps and Bob Bowman. So, you know, they, they started together many years ago when Michael was 10 and, you know, obviously went through ups and downs and ins and outs. But at the end of the day, I think we all know that Michael Phelps is an unbelievable champion and has unbelievable, you know, work ethic and mindset and goal setting and vision and all those um, characters that a champion has. And I think this gave me a little insight into, of course, you know, I always knew as a fellow swim coach, oh, Coach Bowman, he's a great, he's a great swim coach. But I learned a lot more about him and see that he's equal the champion. You know, he has equal mm -hmm. characteristics of being super dedicated. And, you know, while Michael went through that many year period where he never missed a swim practice, you know, Bob was there too at every, every practice. Mm -hmm. So he just, I think, when you have two extraordinarily dedicated, hardworking champions with goals and they partner, that you get something extraordinary like we saw with 23 gold medals, 28 Olympic medals. And so I just, for me, the initial thing, again, not, you know, Coach Bowman isn't just Michael Phelps's coach, but it's certainly, for me, the takeaway is that the partnership that one can form if they have someone equally dedicated, equally hardworking, is you can really do extraordinary stuff. And I see that even extending into this new phase of both Michael and Bob's life of, you know, they've gone through this amazing accomplishment and now Michael is, you know, a father and Bob is a grandfather. I just, I found that mm -hmm. so touching that, you know, Bob refers to Michael's kids as his grandkids. And 
I, I love that, that this relationship is still going in a very dedicated, very um, successful path. And, and that was just really touching and a huge takeaway for me, Maria. What are your thoughts on that? I have to agree. I, I, I was I was very moved um, with Bob talking about um, I didn't understand at first that the grandchildren were, were Michael Phelps's kids. And then I agree two amazing, amazing people together have created something, you know, that's world renowned. So I, I love I love that concept of, you know, what you can do with an incredible partner. That's a, that's a great takeaway. I, I think I that he said so many things. Um, but I, I think one of the things that really sort of stuck with me was this idea that he coaches his swimmers so that they're better than they have to be come game day, come Olympics, come he, he has, he creates, you know, a culture of excellence or what he says, he, he creates an environment where success is inevitable. <laughs> that that's, you have to be, that's a lot of pieces to put together, but it's, I have no doubt that Coach Bowman does, has done that in the past and continues to do that with the, the students he coaches now. And I'm very inspired by this concept. Again, it's like the 24-7. You're always training. You're, you're, you know, whatever, in, you know, the environment that you're around, the people that you, you compete against, the, the, the discipline that you bring to every practice, that everything that you do is part of this environment where success is inevitable. And he brings his, his athletes to their events so good that they're better than they have to be to win. <laughs> and his description of the, the Beijing Olympics is like they had they had gone through it. It was they were it was clockwork. They had done everything that and they knew exactly where they needed to be so that success was inevitable. So that that was, I thought, an amazing uh, and mature, you know, I don't know, just this is a wise man who knows how to create these pieces to put together this kind of environment. Absolutely, yes. And and if you listeners want to break down the details of that, he does go into the five steps for the culture of his team, um, you know, under, I think he started it with personal accountability and that, you know, his swimmers know that, that it creates that, that success is inevitable. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. My second thing that I thought was, is, it's just a technique of champions and we can all use it in everyday life, but Staying in the present moment, I, I was so curious as to how Bob got through the pressure of one gold, two golds, three golds, four gold. you know, in between each mm. gold medal at the Beijing Olympics. What was he doing? And he said he would walk out and just try to soak in and be in the moment. You know, the there's the light glistening off the water and that's what the mural looks like and you know he was really just trying to be in the in the present moment and i i think that is just a huge characteristics of characteristic of a champion obviously bob's a champion and that he was present in the moment it's a very simple thing but one that i know i'm going to take away and use in in my life when you know i could be spinning out of control and just try to hey what do these trees look like? What is the? What am I smelling? Mm -hmm. What am I feeling? Mm -hmm. What am I seeing? And what am I hearing? And I just, I really, really liked that one. Yeah, he was very intentional about it. I loved how he said he, 
he took 10 minutes every day just to say, I'm going to remember this. And I, I thought about that yesterday when I was with my family and I thought, I want to just remember this moment because sometimes if you're not intentional, you don't. And so I thought that was, I love that. We, we, we seem to come up with that again and again with these champions, the being in the present, being in the present. Yes. Very good. So what was your second so, one, Maria? Well, I was very inspired by Bob's sort of culture that he's created for himself of lifelong learning and lifelong getting better. You know, he, he's, you know, he joked in the beginning of the interview that he, you know, he were to write a letter to himself, his 19-year-old self or his 22-year-old self was to take better care of himself. But he's obviously taken that advice to heart. And he, he um, you know, his his personal routines read like a list of things you should do. You know, he does, he reads 30 minutes a day, he does intermittent fasting, he gets into bed early, he lifts weight, he does cardio, he reads the you know, the hottest and best self-improvement books, you know, out there. He quotes them all the time. You know, he he is a person who continues to get better. And that, you know, when I see that, that always inspires me. We can always grow. And he, you know, he's being deliberate and intentional about his personal, uh, mental, spiritual, and physical growth. That was, I thought that was amazing. Yes, very, very inspiring. And one of the questions that we had for him was, you know, what drives you now that you've got this big goal, what drives you? And so this is a man that still has extreme passion for life, passion for coaching at Arizona State mm -hmm. University, passion for bringing up new champions there, and also just growing himself to become a better coach, mm -hmm. both physically, emotionally, mentally. I mean, he's really, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously a champion. So I... I, I yeah, and, and very very comfortable with who he is and who, with himself. Yes. You know, which, which, which comes, you know, through, through a lot of life's learning and, and yeah, that, that was the fun thing about listening to you chatting with him is, you know, you know, obviously you enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. He's, he's, he's in a good place. And, and that, that was really fun to listen yeah, to. Yeah. And I, and I have to say in, in summarizing the whole interview with Bob, he was so fun to be with and easy to talk with and humble. My gosh. I mean, you know, with this guy's resume, you would think he could be, you know, a stick in the mud. He was really mm -hmm. just engaging, great energy, very open, just in a, in a good mood, you know, and I caught him in the middle of a swim meet. So it's not like, <laughs> yeah, you know, amazing. I didn't run into him at a spa retreat and, you know, at Sandals <laughs> yeah. Resort, you know, he, he was happily, happily doing his job. He was happily doing his job. And that was just, um, you know, I don't know what I expected. I, I didn't really have any expectations, but it was such uh, a pleasure and joy to be around this guy. I can see, I, I know he has a tough side as a coach on the deck, but I think I yeah, could I've say- seen, I've I, seen little clips. Yes, he's tough. Yeah, I, I would probably enjoy swimming for him if he at least had the personality that he had with me in the interview. <laughs> Maybe not when he assigned me, you know, 10 500s on 530 yeah. or something, but- yeah, that culture of excellence can be painful yes, to get through. <laughs> absolutely. Well, there we have it, the interview with Bob Bowman and uh, one of my favorites, just very, very exciting. Yeah, that's it was a great interview. Thanks very much, Kelly. Right, love Maria, you. Maria, love you too. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. This week's Quote of the Week comes to us from Bob Bowman. I think that is a great thing about our sport. It's the individuality and the creativity that coaches have to come up with something that fits their situation, 
their swimmers, their personalities, their strengths as coaches, and to do that and still have similar success, I think is one of the best things in America. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. Signing off for myself and my champion co-host, Maria Parker, we hope you'll join us again soon, and we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening, and please see below for a copy of the show notes for any links or important information that we've referenced here. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also, visit championsmojo.com to learn more.